0: Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBurge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your
1: daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like
0: egos. Good morning, I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Even if it's not morning where you are, hello and happy day, my friend. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 34, verses eight and nine. This is really a tasty Tuesday verse. Uh, and so we're getting it a day early on Monday. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Should consider that for just a moment. What does it look like in your life to taste and see that the Lord is good? God is good. When I was little, uh, one of the prayers that we learned, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, this day our daily bread. God is great and God is good. What does it mean that God is good? My mind leaps to uh, either Mark 10 or Luke 18, where we have this, you know, the one we call the rich young ruler addressing Jesus. Good teacher. You know, he's asking a question following that, but it's the way that he addresses him that Jesus first responds to. Good teacher. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? there's only one who is good, and that is God. So when I say, God is good, how do you respond? Some of you respond all the time, <laughs> and then add to that all the time, and I would respond back, God is good. But how, how do you respond to the, to the claim or the declaration or the statement that God is good in the midst of um, circumstances or events that don't feel good. Can you taste and see today that the Lord is good? There's a big word to describe the goodness of God. It's one of the omnis, omnibenevolence or omnibenevolent. So God is omniscient, all-knowing. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. God is omnibenevolent or demonstrates omnibenevolence. God isn't just good. God is good. He is goodness. He is all good all the time, and God defines goodness and what it means to be good. So part of God being good is his moral perfection. God actually defines by who he is what is good and what is evil. God is also good in that he is benevolent. He is generous, perfectly generous, in fact. His mercies are new every morning, Goodness um, rises to the level of one of the three what are called transcendental virtues, the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of God. We know what goodness is because of God. We know what truth is because of God. We know what beauty is because of God, the transcendental virtues. God is good and we know what goodness is because God has revealed it. So in all times, under all circumstances, by looking at no one and nothing but God, we can know what goodness is, and we can know what it is to be good morally and uh, beneficially to others, to the beneficence of others. Goodness. And only God is good, Jesus says. So what does that look like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? God's benevolence or his generosity of spirit towards us is part of his goodness, and so when you think about verses like the one we're looking at today from Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. that That's the psalmist taking note of the goodness of God that overflows in benefits to his people. Blessings, the source of all blessings, too numerous to count. Um As James puts it this way, uh, God is the source of every good and perfect gift. So when you think about the goodness of God, what comes to mind? How is it that God is good? How has he demonstrated his goodness toward you even today? Because his mercies are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness. He's gracious, he's long-suffering, he's abounding in goodness. Consider the goodness of God today, and then just consider... God is good and that you know the difference between goodness and everything else um, because you know God. There's really nowhere else to be but tucked into the goodness of God. So let's find ourselves there today. Dave Buring is going to join us next from Lion Share. We're going to continue our conversation about the transformed life. We arrived today at the purpose of transformation So what is the purpose of transformation? Why is it that God works by the power of his spirit to transform us? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dave Buring is back with us. We're talking about the transformed life. This is the fourth uh fourth part in our conversation about the transformed life, and today we land on the purpose of transformation. Dave, good morning.
2: Good morning, Carmen.
0: Mhm. Aloha.
2: <laughs> Aloha to you. <laughs> uh
0: for those of you who don't remember, Dave spent um some ministry time in Hawaii. And he and I just had an opportunity to be at a luau together where my favorite part was that fire guy.
2: Is that not awesome? Yeah.
0: The fire, the fire knife dancer. Yeah. The fire knife dancer. More, Mm -hmm. more on that some other time. Um, Dave, uh, the transformed life. Remind us about the transformed life and then, um, and then we'll talk about the purpose of it. So how do we arrive at this point in the conversation about the transformed life? Where, Where have we been?
2: Well, we've been talking about several pieces of it. We've talked about the process of transformation, how the way that things really transpire inside of us is God reveals something to us, like maybe from his word or by the Holy Spirit, he drops something in our heart and we see something that we know that we need to be obedient to Um, out of our love for Jesus. We obey him and then transformation comes. We use the phrase that obedience is the engine of transformation that we talked a little bit about the priority of transformation, that the thing he's really after in us is making us look more like Jesus, our gifts, our personality, the way we look, all of that, but that we look more like, and we use the Dallas Willard quote, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I love that quote. I and then, so. yeah. And then we talked last week about the proof of it and the proof of it being love that the way we relate to people is out of love. And it's a place that we have capacity to grow in, be stretched in. But the the more mature we get in the Lord, the real proof of transformation is that we sincerely love one another, which is laying our lives down for each other and choosing each other's highest good. So it it lands us today at the purpose of transformation.
0: So when we talk about the purpose of transformation, you know, I think that maybe as uh, sort of individualistic American Christians, um, my first thought is, well, God transforms me for my benefit. <laughs> God, yeah, God, exactly. God trans—God transforms me for me, um, yeah. because it's good for me, and because it makes Mabel for me to um, to enjoy Him, like right. But there's more to it than that. Can you talk with us about other purposes for which God is transforming us?
2: Yes, it's like I, I just was speaking somewhere recently about um, the topic of. God and his kingdom. And we were talking about how, like, God loves us so much. Why did he not just grab us and take us to heaven when we gave our lives to Jesus? Like, why mm. did he leave us here? And I think, you know, there's some practical pieces about, you know, what it looks like to enjoy God, you know, being in his presence, um, enjoying creation, enjoying the relationships he's given us. There's all that piece but I think there's also this piece of realizing that we're still here because there's work to be done. That in God's heart, he says in Revelation 5 that there will be standing before him one day people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And there are still groupings of people. I, may, I know this may be interesting or a first time for some people to hear this, but there are still tribes and peoples in our world that do not have a regular witness of Jesus in their culture. There is still work to be done. And if we make that more personal, there are people in our lives whose families don't have a regular witness of Jesus within their family life. And that might be you. And so part of this whole area of the purpose is it's advancing God's kingdom through you and me that's why we're still here
0: i have uh, i have two thoughts about that in our own culture my um, my my dear friend susan who's now with the lord but um she encountered a a little girl um in chicago actually this is just a couple of months before um before she died um and they were they were visiting some friends in a walk up this little girl was just you know sitting out on the front stoop and um and as susan was passing by um, you know, they caught eyes and, and they, you know, started a little chat and the girl pointed to Susan's neck and said, what's that? And Susan had to reach up there and feel and she had, you know, she had her, she had a necklace on and it had a cross on it. And she said, you know, it's my necklace. And she said, no, what's that on the necklace? Mm-hmm. And she said the, the cross and the little girl said, yeah, what's that? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then another story from a friend walks into a jewelry store and, um, is looking for a cross to give to his wife And um, the woman behind the counter says, well, do you want you do you want the the blank one or do you want the one with a little man on it? That's that's how little our own culture knows about the gospel. And so when we talk about every tribe and every nation, we're talking about our neighbors and we're talking about the people who live down the street and across the country. Um, We're going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring in just a moment. We're going to talk about the purpose of the transformed life, the purpose of transformation, why God actually wants us to uh, be Jesus in the world today. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God and advancing God's kingdom in this generation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at myfaithradio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to you know, Bible verses, I don't know, there's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media, connect with us on Faith Radio's social media, and, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right, back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at myfaithradio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from Lionshare, Share, you can find what we're talking about today and lots of other resources at lionshare.org. Talking about the transformed life, and today we're talking about the purpose of transformation. One of those purposes is advancing God's kingdom. And so as we advance God's kingdom in the world that he so loves, what does that look like? Um, Maybe, um, Dave, let's talk about some kingdom basics. I mean, we pray Thy kingdom come, thy will be done Mm -hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. How how do we know what what that is and what it would look like?
2: Yeah, so a good way to look at it is when we think about what is going on in heaven right now, all the time, what's going on there? Because when Jesus prayed that prayer, thy kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like, how do we pull what's going on in heaven, so to speak, down to earth where we live? And when when we think about heaven, one of the things that's always on display is God's character. Like who he is, what he's really like, people actually seeing and experiencing him. Well, God wants that to be expressed through us as his followers. We are the ones that are supposed to be the revealers of God's character. As we're in his word and we're letting him transform our lives, the more we live like, act like, respond like, talk like, think like, God. We look more like him. And then the world gets to see us perfectly. Of course not. And that's where then the principles of things like forgiveness and walking in humility and making things right, repentance, reconciliation, that's where that all comes in. But in heaven, God's character is always on display and his ways or how he does things and how he asks us to do those things. They're on full display. So that's for me, Carmen, kind of an easy way to go. Oh, okay. That's what it looks like. And then that transforms us into being carriers of his kingdom everywhere we go.
0: When we talk about seeking first the kingdom of God, I mean, that would be another maybe kingdom mm-hmm. reference that we could point yeah. to in, in terms of things Jesus instructed. And so it's, it's um, what does that look like? What does it mean in my life? as a follower of Jesus, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that everything else is going to follow along.
2: Yeah, and I think that's one that there's there's some lack in. And what I mean by that is it's just there's not been a lot of discipleship, the purposeful pointing of followers of Jesus, how to live that way. And so I think for me, the way that I look at that, Carmen, is through the lens of, of when I get up like this morning and— Somewhere in my morning, as I'm getting ready, I, I like to have some time with the Lord in the morning. I exercise. I have a conversation with my wife Cheryl. You know, shower, get dressed. You know, all that out the door. Somewhere in there, am I before I open the door to go out? That's kind of my mentality. Have I realigned my thinking to what is is my heart prepared today? for what Jesus might want to push through me with whom whoever I'm with. Yeah. So is is that, I can, I, do I have that as an awareness point? And that's where I feel like the breakdown comes, is we're not even aware of that, which means when I'm not aware of that, that means there's going to be a lot of swings and misses today. There's going to be opportunities that the Lord put in front of me to be kind to somebody, to maybe stop and listen to someone who's in a tough spot and to, to pray for them. Um, it, it may be an opportunity that I'm going to miss to build a relationship. Or is there something about obeying Jesus that he put in my heart at, in that three to four in the afternoon conversation with somebody that maybe was not work related, but maybe was more something where the Lord wanted me to just simply say, how are you? Like, are you, are you guys good? And And the Lord had put that in my heart. But did I build in room? to actually do that? Did I skip past fear? What are they going to think and have the courage to be obedient? So when we don't have an awareness that we are carriers of the kingdom, we miss out on a lot of opportunities. So I think it all begins right there.
0: Fear is such a good um, one to point to. And when you say, um, you know, am I am I available in such a way that God can push through his 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 agenda, his words, his perspective, mm-hmm. that he can push those through me. I'm I'm envisioning, you know, like either an open conduit or uh-huh. um like a series of filters where, well, what are they gonna think about me? Or what are they gonna think of me? Or how is this going to affect yes. me? Do yeah. I do I really have time for this? Like all those filters, all those barriers that I put yes. in in the way of God actually pushing through me into the life of another person that his kingdom might be advanced. Um, that's a really good for me, like visual of, am I letting God push through me the things that he wants to today? Or am I really filtering him out so that yeah. I can get on with my own thing, whatever that is. That's, that's really good, Dave. Um, well, um, go can ahead. I illustrate that? Yeah, please.
2: So, so for example, Uh, One day I was out on a walk and I was out on this walk. I noticed a a mom and her daughter, college age daughter, and it was a little cool September morning. And I remember the daughter having her hands, both hands wrapped around her coffee mug that she was holding, you know, just keeping her hands warm. And I stepped off the sidewalk as I was passing them. And I simply said, good morning. And they replied in the same. And I got back up on the sidewalk after passing them and continued to walk. And seconds, seconds after this, I felt like I heard the Lord inside say, when you're on your way back, I want you to stop and talk with him. Mm. Well, I looked down the road and I still had about another three blocks to walk before I turned around, kind of my walking routine. So I said, okay, Lord, if that's you, they're going to have to be there. And I just left it at that. And I, I walked down the three blocks. I turn around as I turn around, I see them, but they're now walking you know, back the other way the same direction I'm going, but 300 or three blocks ahead of me. So again, I said, okay, Lord, They're going to have to be there. Well, sure enough, I'm now 20 paces behind them, and this is going to happen. And so I I don't even really know what to say. I just know I'm supposed to stop. And so I pass by them again, get off the sidewalk and touch the road and pass them on the other side of the sidewalk. And I turn to them, giving them about 10 feet as they're walking. And I said, hey, I know I stopped and said, good morning. That's all I said. Because I was interrupted. Because the college... Age woman took, gave her coffee cup to her her mom and she walked absolutely uncomfortably close to me, like her her okay. head maybe, you know, twelve to eighteen inches away. And she said, I want you to know that I go to the same church that you do. And you spoke a Sunday ago about such and such. And that such and such is exactly what I needed to hear because I've been in a very dark place. And mm-hmm. right there, her mom and I stood on the sidewalk and prayed together and about 6 weeks later she sent me an email she said you know have no idea how your step of obedience in that moment has led to transformation now in my family mm. and and like Carmen I could have missed it I could have missed that moment and so I think it's important that we just learn to listen throughout the day because God has a plan and and about a year later 6 months later my wife Cheryl invited that late young lady to join three others and for a year took them through discipleship journey and, and discipled them. And that relationship would not have happened if I didn't stop. So so I just want to remind us a big part of advancing God's kingdom is being obedient to the little things God drops in your heart today.
0: That's so good. That's so good. Hey, if you um, just heard Dave say discipleship journey, and you thought to yourself, I would I would like to go on a discipleship journey um, with, with a group of people, um, check it out, A Discipleship Journey. You can find it at lionshare.org. Um, Dave, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you for the the reminders. Thank you for the invitation. Um, thank you for the the example. Um, we genuinely appreciate it.
2: Thanks. appreciate the example you are, too. Have a great day.
0: You too. You too. That's Dave Buring. You can find him and lots of resources for your discipleship journey at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, there's a lot uh, going on in the world. If you have neighbors or friends, or maybe you um, are a person whose you know local congregation has been going through a lot of change. Um, I'm thinking here about folks who maybe historically were Episcopalian, whose churches are now Anglican, or folks whose churches were historically um, evangelical Lutheran and are now um, some more evangelical or orthodox small o variety of Lutheran church. Um, Maybe you are a Presbyterian, and your congregation— um, was once in the PCUSA, but now is affiliated with the, you know, Presbyterian Church of America, or the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, or, um, or, a Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians. I mean, it, there are lots of um, changes that have taken place over time in mainline Protestant churches. Our Methodist brothers and sisters are now going through. Um, what every other mainline denomination has, um, has already endured. And so want to continue lifting up um, those who are engaged in United Methodist congregations and the decisions being made, not only at the congregational, but at the denominational levels as well. Um, Mark Tooley is a friend in Washington, D.C. He, he, he thinks a lot and writes a lot on this particular front, what's happening in mainline Protestantism. Um, and he recently has reflected on the interaction of mainline Protestantism Protestantism and what's known as Christian nationalism. And so, as Dr. Adam Carrington is joining us again today, um, thought it might be good to unpack a little bit of that with him, because this is a conversation that is happening across the culture. Um, It just may or may not be happening in your particular corner of the church, and so it's really good for us to look outside of the particular walls and expression of our local congregation i mean if you're southern baptist you probably the news that you're paying attention to is that the southern baptists have experienced a significant decline in membership and we say well how significant okay well it's exactly the same kind of decline that has been experienced year over year in mainline protestant churches and so like depending on your particular brand or flavor of um, Of congregation, you may not know really what 's happening in others, and so sometimes looking beyond the walls of our local congregations and see what 's happening in the rest of the body, like what 's going on with the rest of the body of Christ, particularly here in the United States of america so that 's up next with dr. Adam carrington what 's happening in your local congregation what 's happening in the congregation down the street? because we are each and all members of one another in the body of Christ. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Hello, good sir.
1: Hello, Carmen.
0: How are you? Good. You and I need like six hours to talk to cover everything that's in front of us. But um, I would love for you to maybe summarize um, what Mark Tooley is saying in terms of the interaction of mainline Protestantism and Christian nationalism. And maybe a um, just a quick note on that. You know, somebody on my text line has already said, is Christian nationalism actually a thing or is it just another invention of media to further divide people? My response is it's a real thing.
1: Yes, I would say it's a real thing. Now, the question is whether it can be a politically viable thing. But if you look on the sort of intellectual, conservative, Christian uh, sphere, where people are talking about ideas, talking about how those ideas should be translated into real life, there are people who are saying, and I think there's different flavors of it. Sometimes it's being used, I think, as a cudgel just against political opponents, but yeah, there is a real thing out there that says we have to have a much more uh, either theocratic state where the church is running the state or a, a something comparable where uh, there isn't the distinction between God's ordination of government and God's ordination of politics in the way that mm-hmm. I think we have seen in American history. And I think that it bears out in scripture. So yes, I think it is a re- it's a real thing as far as the intellectual debate. Now, sometimes these things never quite make it in, in popular, like start winning elections and things like that. But um, that really depends upon the degree to which people then take the ideas seriously and run with them. But yes, it's, it's certainly out there.
0: OK, so um, if you're driving around uh, the Twin Cities, you are now seeing billboards um, purchased by the Humanists of Minnesota dot uh, org. And these billboards say, re- I mean, they're it's they're huge. Reject Christian nationalism. Keep religion out of government. Um, can you just help us respond to that? Like that's a that's a lot of lingo Um, in a quick billboard.
1: Right. And when I said that there are sometimes moments where Christian nationalism is a phrase sort of like the word fundamentalist or uh, even uh, a a liberal or conservative that gets thrown at someone mainly because you want to paint them as, as wrong by definition. I think that's what's happening here is the first step is reject Christian nationalism. Well, there's plenty of Christians that would say that at least certain versions of of people who consider themselves Christian nationalists, we would oppose their political agenda or how they see the intersection of church and state. But then the second statement, the explanation of what rejecting means in that billboard uh, to keep religion out of government, uh, it's one thing to say that there is a separation of church and state. As I was saying before, that God ordains two distinct institutions that have not un, not that have uh, distinct functions that they're operating in for His glory, and to say that at, that that means that uh, there is no place for religious belief, uh, no place for seeing God as the author of human government in politics, and I think that that's where you get not the establishment of a christian religion but the de facto establishment of a sort of secular religion of non-christianity or non-faith that's trying to be uh, put in, in in its place so i think this is where christians have to be wise and say it's one thing to say we reject the church and the state being one it's another thing to say that God doesn't speak anything to how we should care for the poor, how we should care for those in need, uh, what our policies should be regarding justice and truth. Um, I think that's hard to square as well. And this is, I think, an attempt to um, give an inch and then take a mile as far as the interaction of these two concepts
0: so um one way of understanding keep religion out of government particularly for a government of we the people is to suggest that religious people be kept out of government as if religious people shouldn't have a voice as a part of we the people that's the um that's my response to a person who is operating out of a secular worldview and doesn't understand that secularism is a religion of sorts um it's a religion of the self it's a um it's original it's a it's a religion that worships the autonomy of the self um, versus the authority of God. So it's so it's a religion, and 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 I would argue that to a person who wants to look at me and first first of all say that a Christian who has concern about what's happening in America today or under any other other form of government, a, a Christian who has concern and therefore wants to apply themselves to the concerns of the day. The welfare of the poor would be a really good example here. Um, or life, issues of life at 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 every age and stage uh, of development. Um, to, to suggest that a person of religious conviction, me particularly of Christian conviction, that I should be silenced and kept out of the public square because people think that I want theocracy. Well, they don't understand me, nor the idea that I want to advance the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, regardless of the kind of kingdom I happen to find myself in. I mean, do you see where I'm headed, Adam?
1: Right, and this is part of the debate that as society does seem to be secularizing, at least in its public forums, what is the place for religious persons, and I think to live as people of faith. I think that's the the crucial point. It's not literally they're going to at least at this point, jail Christians for being Christians or, or 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 something like that in the existential sense. But will they be fined or jailed or will they just be <coughs> declared illegitimate participants if the way they participate is consistent with their faith and is articulating their faith as part of how they come to their understanding of what the common good is, what the human good is? And I think underneath this as well is the idea that even what we naturally know about what justice is, is from God. God is the author of nature that teaches us something about justice, and he's the author of scripture that gives us even clearer understandings of what's good and just. And I think to say that uh, Christians can't participate in Society from that perspective is to deny them the capacity to exercise their religious liberty and to to fully live as as fellow citizens in this republic
0: um, I think that moving forward, one of the conversations that um, that we need to have you and I and everyone else is figuring out how to see, appreciate, understand, and press into sort of the difference between being Christians in and under any and all forms of government and imagining that what god wants is for us to turn the place where we are into some kind of christian quote unquote governed place because that's not even what jesus sought to do and i've read the whole book it doesn't happen so do you see the do you do you see what i'm again trying to press into there's a christian witness to be had no matter what kind of, of country we live in. Um, and we should never imagine that it's going to become the kingdom of God on earth, because Jesus is the one who's going to fully institute that, like not, not us.
1: Right, and that's where the, con- the theological concept of already and not yet is essential as a paradigm. Because the there's a tendency among some who want to overrealize realize to bring, bring heaven to earth, to say that, well, the kingdom of God has already come, the already of the not yet. And then there's others who want to say that the not yet means basically we need to resign from, withdraw from, remove ourselves from society, or that it's okay that others remove us from society. And not try to accomplish the good we can, the inbreaking of the kingdom to the degree it can be, uh, God allows it to be brought in here and now. And and a picture of that is Jesus healing the sick, Jesus raising the dead, Jesus preaching the good news. Those that's He didn't save that till the final second coming. Um, and so, if you put those together, that's where Christians need wisdom—the the wisdom to say, uh, God has not left this world without any witness or without any capacity through the the kingdoms of this world to realize some safety, some protection, some good. At the same time, those will never be the new heavens and the new earth. And our wisdom is finding that ground that we don't try to bring heaven to earth, but that we don't leave earth to be a kind of hell of itself? And and how do you find that in between as we wait the final consummation? I think that's where Christians can't have an easy blueprint. They've got to look at the society that they're in and ask what God has asked and called for them to do in that tension here and now.
0: All right, we're going to pivot to a conversation about just that. What does what does it look like to respond to a Lord and Savior who heals the sick and calls us to give to everyone in need. When we talk about health and health care, when we talk about wealth and welfare, um, what do those conversations look like in the culture today? We're going to talk about a, a conservative Christian case for single-payer health care. Yep, you heard me right. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When we talk about the walk of faith or walking by faith or taking each step of life with the good shepherd, we imagine ourselves as sheep walking with him. Or maybe we see ourselves in the disciples with Jesus walking from town to town throughout the land we call holy. Every Christian wants to walk where Jesus walked, but not everyone's going to get to go to Israel. So if you want to see the holy land the way it might have looked through the eyes of Jesus, take a journey with Max Lucado. We're giving away a copy of his new book, In the Footsteps of the Savior, every day in May. Thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing, you can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You can enter to win on the Faith Radio app or at myfaithradio.com. It's the Every Day in May giveaway, so enter today at myfaithradio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. All right, just let me go ahead and say for some of you, this is going to get your ire up. I totally uh, understand that. This is an article that appears in First Things, uh, the conservative Christian case for single-payer health care. Adam, why don't you read us in on this and then maybe help us think through some of the ideas and implications.
1: All right, this is from uh, Matthew Loftus, who uh, lives in Kenya, where he uh, does family medicine from a uh, from a Christian perspective there. And um, he is making the case from a Christian perspective, and he tries to be very ecumenical. He quotes the Westminster Catechism for Presbyterians. He quotes the Catechism of the Catholic Church to, to argue that um, the obligations we have to each other as far as protecting each other's bodies minds and 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 therefore their life and health uh how do we fulfill that and he says it's it's a given that we do have an obligation to each other on those areas god has created the body and created the body good um there is a connection between the mind and the spirit and so to help people uh, spiritually, we also need to r- protect them and help them with physically. But then I, I, I don't know that many Christians would really disagree with that. Um, where it's interesting is I think he's thinking outside the normal box for uh, conservative Christians by saying, therefore, he thinks the government should provide mm-hmm. for that. And what I do like about this, I'm, I'm, I'm not, really inclined to it because i think and we can get into this that he oversells the problems it fixes in the current market and undersells um the good that could be done through uh other ways a private charity or a private market but what i do like is that uh christians are willing right now and this and the christian nationalism movement even is You know a a, a version of this to think outside the box and make us rethink our assumptions so that even if we come back to the same conclusions we understand them better and we have a better idea of why we are where we are so i i think his his general point this is an obligation we owe to each other to take care of each other's health and to help those who can't do it perfectly themselves is true um where I think uh, I at least have problems with the article is when he then tries to say that government provision of it, given government's problems in administering other programs to help people, that that would be the means by which it could best be administered. But that turns it into a question of what's the best way to accomplish this goal, not whether it should be a goal at all. And I, I do like how that orients us toward caring about Others, even if we might disagree on what's the way to accomplish that care,
0: um, my responses would be we have to have a robust conversation about how the word healthcare is defined and what's encompassed in healthcare and who gets to determine or define the term healthcare. Obviously, um, abortion comes to mind here very, very quickly, um, so does assisted suicide. Uh, puberty blockers, surgeries that seek to bring a physical body into conformity with someone's imagination, whatever that is. Um, I mean, I think that the list of things that are encompassed today in the term healthcare care certainly um, go beyond the bounds of, of maybe what a doctor in Kenya has in view in terms of the cultural conversation in the United States of America. So, I absolutely agree in, in concept um, that we all are responsible to care for the physical body in the same way we are called to care for someone's spiritual um, life. Like that is I'm not saying that the body is not an important part of of who we are. And so I agree in concept, but I think that, the, you know, this would be the devil is in the details kind of conversation
1: right and and I and I think that dovetails with uh on on what what I was saying, if you put them together, I think those are the two big wings. One is defining health care so that it doesn't become a means of dishonoring God's plan for human beings mm-hmm. and, or even deeply infringing upon it in the examples you gave. and then i I think also sometimes Christians, uh because we know uh we, we follow a perfect God who will make the world perfect again, we can be a little idealistic where if there's a good end, we don't think a whole lot about the effectiveness of the means in an imperfect world. And so just to reiterate, uh, I I think what I was saying too, we have to ask that even if this end or goal is right, the, the means to do so need to be effective in an imperfect world. And are we asking uh, uh, an idealistic view of government. Are, are we, in some ways, being? I, I know he doesn't identify himself as a Christian nationalist or anything, but does does Loftus have an uh, overblown view of how much government can bring heaven to earth on this question? Mm-hmm. When he when he seems to think that it could be a streamlined answer that's much better than other countries and uh, or much better than how how we do this now. So we need to ask: How can we be? Uh, innocent as doves, and, and and I think that's partly having the right end, but also wise as serpents, which means having a kind of shrewdness about how to get the best out of an imperfect situation. And it's not clear to me, looking at healthcare systems in Canada, England, other places that have the kind of single-payer system that he's thinking of, that the things that are being done to human beings there and the rationing of care and other things – whether that really is the kind of system that's going to bring about even noble and good goals that he may be articulating
0: yeah, um, I think if we look at what's happening um, both in Ukraine and Sudan, we immediately arrive at the conversation about rationed care um, there's there's no question that i mean we're we are all facing um Conversations with sort of different levels of emergency in relationship to this, and we happen to be living in a country where um, people can access a very, very broad range of healthcare options, um, and yes, do so at varying levels uh, depending on their um, financial capacity. But I think that when you know when somebody in Kenya is is lifting this up. They are coming out of a particular um, perspective where people are dying of hunger and thirst and people are dying of preventable diseases and people are um, not getting necessary emergency surgeries that here in the United States everyone has access to. So there's a there's a very robust conversation here also about context um, but as always, uh, what a delight to talk with you about these things. So many other things, Adam, you and I could have talked about today, but thank you for these conversations. It's, a, it's always a gift.
1: Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. And, and uh, hopefully we can just keep keep the conversation going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. I'm wondering what you're thinking about these things. You can always Text me, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, uh, just a couple of thoughts here. Um, What does it mean to you to be in the world but not of it? Like That's one of the ways that Christians are described. We are in the world. But not of it, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to you to be a pilgrim um, or uh or an alien in in a foreign land as a Christian in the world today what What does it mean to you that the kingdom of God is already but not yet? Um, what does it mean to you to live in the last days? And when I say that i'm not suggesting that uh, uh, that I know when the end of the last days is, when Jesus is returning, but that we do know that Jesus is returning and that since his ascension, we have been living as his people in the last days. We just don't know how many last days there are until the actual last day. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith,